Aloha, everyone. I'm your host, Christina Lini-Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we will continue our Sustainable Leader series, and we're going to have a talk story with Robert Van Tassel. He is the president and CEO of Catholic Charities Hawaii. And not only will we learn about their expansive services, uh, we all do plan to dive into housing for the people of Hawaii, which is an area dear to my heart, along with Robert's. Um, Aloha, Rob. Aloha. Yeah, you can call me Rob. Only my mom calls me Robert. Yeah, I was. Usually when I'm in trouble. (laughs) Well, if you get into trouble, I'll start using Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Before we begin... Um, what I'd like to do is read your bio. So I'm going to go ahead and do that, and then we could dive right in after that. So Rob is a leader with more than 20 years' experience in nonprofit management, including social services, affordable housing, community development, and organizational leadership. Named as the CEO and president of Catholic Charities Hawaii in November 2019, Rob leads a statewide agency of more than 40 programs and services, and that serves over 80,000 clients a year. As with other social service agencies and nonprofit organizations, the demand for assistance has increased exponentially during COVID, during our pandemic and economic downturn. The leadership team at Catholic Charities Hawaii has risen to the occasion, amplifying and multiplying their reach with new programs, innovative technology solutions, and an increase in advocacy for those most in need. Prior to joining Catholic Charities Hawaii, Rob served as a vice president at Catholic Charities in Seattle. In this role, he led the development of over 30 housing projects and their related social services. A collaborative leader, Rob focuses on building assets and wealth for both for and by within communities. Uh, Let's see. Before, Rob's experience include positions in private sector, such as development affordable housing, and on accounting director at a Starbucks coffee company and accounting manager for Blue Cross. So he holds a bachelor's degree in business administration for the University of Washington, and his, him and his wife reside in Honolulu. They have three daughters, and you have one grandson now, huh? That's correct. Yes, yeah. we do. So um, before we dive into Catholic Charities Hawaii, let's let's hear a little bit about you. What um, Were you born and raised in Washington? I was actually born in uh, upstate New York, and okay. then my family moved out to uh, Whidbey Island, Washington, when I was young, probably four or five. Okay. Do you have siblings or is this you? I have uh, two sisters and uh, both my parents are still with us. They are snowbirds. So right now they're in Arizona, but they'll go back to Whidbey Island probably in June. Awesome. And like he actually moved out here uh, for this position and we were, I, well, I've been recently um, released from the board. <laughs> um, I was on the board with Catholic Charities Hawaii for two terms, and I it was an honor to be on that board. I just have to say that I've worked with a lot of nonprofits over my my years, even before I when I was in college, and 
Catholic Charities Hawaii is genuinely one that I know God has his hand over, but the people there, like just their hearts are in it for the right reasons. And that is what I love so much through, you know, from then everybody that's working there through management, through the volunteers, through the board. It's just, it was really impressive to see over the years how, um, how, good everybody is there and is achieving, you know, greatness for, for the kingdom. Let's just put it that way. But anyways, um, well, so thank you that's for my your, two cents. Uh, yeah. Thank you for your two terms, six years of service that, uh, we really appreciate that. And you're right. We do have a great team here. We'll definitely get into that. Yeah. So what do you do for fun when you have some free time? <laughs> Well, my wife and I have really enjoyed getting to know uh, the Hawaii. Uh, we've been to all the islands several times. Um, we do spend time out <clears throat> hiking. We live not too far from Makapu'u. So you often find us uh, doing that hike, especially on the weekends. This time of year, it's fun to go out and look for the whales. Uh, we go up into the different botanical gardens. We like to do hikes there. Um you know, uh, I do fish, fly fishing in particular. So I go to the shallow waters, mostly out in uh, Monolua Bay and fish for bonefish. I haven't had a whole lot of success, but um, it definitely puts me into a meditative state. And I just uh, really enjoy being out there and and uh, being in the elements and looking up at the beautiful mountains from there. It's gorgeous. So just enjoying the outdoors here is is uh, a lot of fun. Maybe this weekend we'll get up to the North Shore with some of those big waves. I'm sure all your friends and ex-coworkers and everybody in Washington are jealous. <laughs> I stopped sending them too many pictures. Yeah. I have a few that enjoy seeing them, but a lot of them are just like, uh, it's probably, you know, about 40 degrees and, and uh, raining right now without even yeah. looking at the forecast. I, That's I the worst. Like our rain is like, you know, cool. Like it's not that cool cold or anything so if it's raining like if i go on a trail and it starts raining i'm like oh i'm gonna see rainbows and it's not that and it cools me off but if if i'm yeah. in somewhere else and it starts raining oh my gosh it's so cold well anyways let's dive into catholic charities um i like to start with the history and mission if you can share mm -hmm. that with the thing is what i really want to do with this podcast is two things i want everyone to learn about Catholic Charities Hawaii, because I feel that you guys do a great job at what you do, but a lot of people don't really know what mm -hmm. it is you do because your name isn't everywhere. And you're very, you know, it's, it's a very humbling um, agency. It's, you know, you guys aren't sitting out there trying to promote yourselves in that way. And I know that's, you know, part of, part of the mission as well, just to be there for the community. But um, I like to brag about you guys. <laughs> So please share. Thank you, um, You've been a big supporter of ours and we greatly appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah. So please share um, your mission and, and really how it started. That would be great to start with. Sure. Sure. Well, Catholic Charities started right uh, at the heels of World War II. Um, the bishop at the time, Bishop Sweeney here in, in uh, Hawaii, called upon the Marianal sisters who he was familiar with and uh, did a lot of uh, missionary type of work, but really around social services. They were, they're not in a proselytizing or evangelizing type of uh, order. The Marinal sisters are, they, they dig in and they help. 
and they take their leads um, from the locals as to what is needed, and then they find ways to resource into that and to apply their skills. So the the sisters that first came out here were very experienced in social services, particularly in, in counseling and helping out um, heads of household that were primarily uh, young women. And there was, a, you know, there was quite a few of those here because of, unfortunately, the war. Um, so they did a lot to help out with the orphans as well as the single mothers. They got involved a lot in labor issues. They became involved with what was going on with the plantations. And, and a lot of the early union forming was actually, um, if you peer carefully behind the seeds, you could see quite a few of the sisters involved in that. Um, they were quiet about that work as as we often are, but we're very loud when it comes to advocating for others. So we use our indoor voices, <laughs> I guess, when we're talking about ourselves and our outdoor voices, our more powerful voices when we're advocating on the behalf of others and when we're um, empowering them to do that as well. So um, that was started then 77 years ago, almost here in July. Uh, two years ago, we celebrated our 75th anniversary with one of the few galas that we do. Um, we use that as an opportunity to raise some additional funds, but we're still very connected to the Marinol sisters, as you can imagine. Marinol High School is one of their uh, is also one of their missions that they started when they got here. Uh, they were started about, I believe, five or ten years in front of us. But um, we do a lot of partnering with them as well. We have even a couple of Marinol sisters that work with us. One is on the board, very tied in with them. So that's kind of the the history of Catholic Charities. Um, for quite a while now, we've had lay people like myself who've been uh, in charge of the organization. Um, right now, uh, Catholic Charities has about uh, 300 roughly staff. Um, of course, we'll talk a little bit, I'm sure, about Maui, but we're growing pretty quickly on Maui. Um, we've already tripled in size there, so maybe more than that. We're up to about 15 or 20 staff there. Um but we, we work a lot in uh, mental health, which was, again, one of the original uh, charisms of the Marinol sisters when they came here. We also do a lot with uh, Kupuna Care. We run the Lanikili Multipurpose Senior Center, as well as transportation, as well as dementia classes. Then we do the family uh, and children uh, therapy, uh, which includes the mental health counseling, but also early interventions getting involved uh, with families, uh, getting involved with um, foster care oftentimes. Um, so we're we're quite proud of that work that we do. Uh, we also work with difficult and struggling youth that um, find themselves in difficult situations. Um, many times they've aged out of foster care and uh, really helping them uh, avoid the prison system, avoid the uh, justice system. So we work a lot with that population as well. And then housing, uh, very involved in housing. As you know, we've been doing a lot with the rental relief programs that started under COVID. But even before that, we were working with voucher programs. We own and operate now close to 500 units of affordable housing uh, mm -hmm. here on Oahu and Maui. Uh, we'd love to get involved in the other islands as well. Um, but, you know, our overall uh, mission is number one, I would say, um, to all people of Hawaii. Uh, we don't mm -hmm. discriminate on any factors uh, such as uh, culture or religion, ethnicity, uh, belief systems, gender, whatever. We, we are there for all people of Hawaii. Um, that includes those that we hire as well as those that we serve. So we're very um, open, very, very inclusive in all that we do. Uh, we also like to make sure that um, 
when we're working with the family, we're working with their strengths. We use strengths-based models to ensure that we're empowering them and not just giving them a handout, as the old saying goes, but a hand up, which mm -hmm. to me is maybe a bit of a tired cliche, but really what we're saying there is in order to really have that deep impact on that family, um, multi-generations of that family, but as well as that community that we're working with, um, we wanna make sure that we leave them with the tools and the connections and that resilience to sustain themselves on into the future. So we're very proud of that work as well uh, that we do. And that goes with all of the programs as they're designed, have those types of design principles in them. Yeah. So it's like the whole, like you teach a, like you don't just give them a fish for food, right? It's like you teach yeah, them how to fish. fish. And then we also yeah. work, you know, um, to carry that analogy too, we also work then to make sure that the river's the lakes, the ocean, wherever they're fishing is stocked as well, and that those fish populations are healthy. So that, to me, and carrying on that analogy would mean the work that we do for advocacy. So we never advocate for ourselves or for our, just our own programs. We advocate on behalf of people, on behalf of um, defined populations, typically those that are most underserved, um, that often are on the margins, uh, forgotten, neglected, um, you know, biased against for whatever reason, those are the populations that will roll up our sleeves and dig in to make sure that they have a voice at the legislature and in city hall. Um, and, you know, because of that, we find that we're able to easily open up doors and have conversations because our mission is understand, you know, understood clearly before there was a city and county of Honolulu or any of the other islands, before there was a state of Hawaii, there was a Catholic church here doing the work. It's even true of this country, you know, before there was a you know, United States, there was uh, missionaries out here doing this work. So that's who we are. That's what drives us to do this work. Um, we have always at our heart in the arc of the work that we do, the intentions and um, the mission of the Marian Old Sisters and of the Bishop here of uh, Honolulu. Yeah. And they, just to reiterate, like, you don't need to be Catholic to receive services. I think because it's in the name, I think people automatically assume that like it's a church, like that you have to go to that church or you have to, you know, go to a Catholic church to get the services. And so that's not the case. Um, you know, and I was on the board, I'm not Catholic, I'm Christian, but I'm not Catholic, but you know, you know, you don't like, like how he was saying, even employment side, it's like, it really, it's really based off of, um, the people that 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 come in and end up working there it's like you guys all just love the mission and you mm -hmm. guys are one of the few i would say that hold tight to your mission a lot of times a mission will get kind of lost over the years and people right. have to like strategically move back into things and try to get back on track or redefine what it is their goals are Correct. and i feel even though you do have strategic plans and everything um I just really like uh, how consistent you guys have been and and how much like I feel God has his hand over you guys and things are just growing. So Correct. maybe we can talk yeah. about some of the um, projects or, you know, the, the different programs that you guys have. I've been able to be a part of it. It's, it's a hard organization to just 
dive right in and volunteer with a lot of the programs. And I do have to say that because a lot of them are social services and there's a lot of, you know, background checks and needing to be in the social service, like having that type of degree and, and whatnot, you know, and you need some kind of like social clerical, you know, certifications and stuff, but for being on the board and what we were able to see, we were able to check out the home that they have for women who are pregnant. And um, that program, the Mary Jane program, could you explain that to them? Because sure. there's a lot of people who, or women, I should say, who may be in a very unsafe environment or cannot afford to leave their spouse or their person that they're with carrying the child with. And I just look at that situation, if they're in danger or their baby's in danger, and um, it's solely based on the fact that it comes down to funds or a place to live, like sure. that are options for people and they don't necessarily mm -hmm. know that. And this is like just one yep. program yeah. out of 40, but they have these programs for a lot of different you know scenarios. And so I tell people like, I, I don't know if there's a program like specifically for you, but call Catholic Charities, you know, because if they don't have a program, they know who to send you to and they will get yeah. you connected. And I say that for just almost anything, because you do really serve people that are from like infant stage all the way to seniors. Yeah. And there's just a lot of that um, areas where you just don't think you, you can get help. And then, yeah. Sure and behold, like sure. so. Yeah, we have about yeah, we have about. Um, it varies. Um, I know we just added three programs already this year, so uh, I think we're over forty-five, probably approaching fifty uh, programs right now. And um, before I forget, too, I'm going to mention for the people that are listening that our our number is eight zero eight five two one help or five two one four three five seven. And that's a, what we call our intake and referral line. And once you're in there, um, information will be uh, taken down and then we'll be able to uh, either connect you with our own resources or those of others. Um, but you mentioned quite a few programs there. The one that um, you talked about is probably one of our more popular ones, well-known, uh, is the uh, uh, out there in uh, Lani Kai, or actually it's in uh, Kailua, the uh, Mary Jane home. And that's for... Um, you know, mothers who uh, find themselves in a difficult situation when they're pregnant, they may be alone um, without family to support them. Uh, for whatever the reason, uh, we offer them a home. Uh, we offer them care, uh, classes on uh, how to take care of themselves and their baby. Uh, we work with them uh, from whenever they're pregnant through a postpartum and up, up to, I believe, about three months after they've given birth. So we have several women usually in that house um, that are working with our wonderful, wonderful uh, staff there, as well as we have a lot of volunteers. So that program is wonderful. We also have housing to support those women. So after the three months when we have new women coming in, those a lot of those um, moms then will go to some of the housing that we have that we operate and own uh, pretty much on our own. There are some subsidies in that, but a lot of that funding is our own funding. And that's for the women as they're getting their feet under them. They can stay in touch with the program. They're in touch, touch with case managers. 
so that there's a really um, strong, not just warm, but really hot handoff to the, the internal team then that works with them and the family counseling and whatnot. So it is a difficult struggle for a lot of the, of the women, but we're there with them. We walk the journey. We have wonderful, wonderful stories. I think you probably remember if you were at that uh, board meeting, Christina, we had a woman come in who now has a master's degree and has started her own nonprofit uh, in similar type of work. And that's one of the success stories, but there's many, many, many of them. Alumni will come back and talk to the women that are in the house and tell their story, which is often very hopeful, uh, helpful. But a lot of what we're about is hope. A lot of what Catholic Charities really is about is providing hope. And without hope, uh, you know, many, many um, difficult struggles can seem overwhelming and people will succumb to that sense. So we're there to walk with them, meet them where they are, and then uh, provide hope. And oftentimes the hope can come from people who've had the lived experience. So uh, that that's why we involve the alumni there as well. Um, but the, the services that we provide are rich and deep. It does take new board members uh, quite a bit of time to do it. I myself, you know, was immersed full-time into this um, and spent my first hundred days getting to know people both inside the agency and outside the agency. And then almost to the day of the hundredth day is when uh, the pandemic was declared and we went into lockdown. And you were uh, ready. No, yeah. So I know you wanted me to, to talk a little bit about what our response was to that. Do you want me to go into that next then? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. um, let's dive into what, I guess, the rental program and, and how sure. that came about so, yeah. and the successes of it too. That would be great. Yeah. So the team met, I think a lot of folks did this um, almost daily to talk about at the you know senior level and above the organization, what should our response be? So number one was to make sure that our staff was safe. And then number two, our clients were safe. And then once we had those two pieces figured out, then what does the community need from us? So very quickly in a very short order, we were there. And one of the things that was so obvious to us was, well, if everybody has to shelter in place, everybody needs a place to shelter. And with that mantra, we began working with the city and the county and the state, um, and then quickly were able to dovetail our work that we were doing um, in that area into the federal rental relief program that became available to the state. And so we worked with the state and Aloha United Way. Uh, at the same time, CNHA was working with the city and the county here of Honolulu. Uh, I say that because eventually we merged in with them and uh, the state gave most of their funding over to the city and county of Honolulu for the next tranche of COVID. But when that first came up, we we had a very strong team here at Catholic Charities. We have very um, dedicated pe people to the mission, not only with a big heart, but a very smart mind, very strategic mm -hmm. thinking. And so we put together the team and the staff uh, we worked on software right away to do this. We got the finances set up. And because of the gravitas and the size of our agency being the largest um, social service provider, a nonprofit social service provider in the state, we were able to lean into this uh, very strongly. Then with the help of some of our community allies, such as Hawaii Community Foundation, um, Aloha United Way, and then we worked with the states uh, of Hawaii, the Hawaii Housing and Finance Development Corp, who was assigned those um, rental funds to design a program. So I think there were some of the key ingredients that went into that was number one, the spirit of aloha here that just lent itself very quickly to a collaboration uh, environment. 
as we were working just ourselves and just the people here in Hawaii, which I would contrast to the way the Maui wildfires, we had a lot of people from outside of Hawaii coming in. But when it was just here and it was just us, we worked beautifully together. So there were committees that came together that were comprised of business leaders, uh, social service leaders, um, state legislators, people from the uh, lived experience as well, all came together and very quickly organized um, and divided up the work and each took their piece of the of the puzzle or their own kuleana and went about solving this. So the legislator, the heads of the, the Speaker of the House, the President of the Senate, the governor's team, everybody came together to take away the barriers. So typically it could take three to six months to get a contract out um, from a state agency, but this happened in a matter of weeks. And the funding dollars came out very quickly because there's no way. I mean, we ended up giving out that first three months uh, uh, between Aloha United Way and Catholic Charities uh, close to $80 million, 70 to $80 million. So um, there's no way anybody had that kind of money to front. We needed that money from the federal government to the state and then to us. All yeah. of that all of that linkage happened very quickly. We put together the review program because we knew we had to make sure that we documented and followed the program uh, requirements as to who was going to qualify for those funds. So there was an income qualification. Uh, we had to design a way to, 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 to intake all of that, work with the landlord, work with the tenant. A lot mm -hmm. of obstacles were overcome. We even had people that would come in to help us from the community. Several of the banks offered their staff to come in and help us make some of the phone calls and answer calls and get emails out. Our state in the end between uh, Aloha United Way and CNHA was, and that stands for Council for Native Hawaiian Advancement, was able to get out more funding than the entire state of New York in those first three months. So with the first tranche of uh, COVID funding. Yeah, and that's a huge in. thing because it's like there are, there are states that just what weren't able to tap into the money when it was due. It's, it's like, yep. it's gone. Right. So it's like, because of what you guys did and it's really the, the technology that you guys put together in order to track everything and put everything in, in digital form and yeah. to have it um, be able to yeah, collect exactly. everything that quickly. That was the only way I, you know, it was able to. Yeah, like, we found early on them. that a lot of people were using smartphones that I think, you know, we it, we quickly banished that myth or bias that we all have that lower income folks don't have smartphones. It's just not true. I think even a good percentage of people that are out, um, you know, without a house often have a smartphone because it's your way to connect to the rest of the world. So we were able to use technology that allowed people to enter in a lot of their basic information in a mobile on an app in the mobile mm -hmm. phone. Um, and get that into our system. And then we were able to call them and then follow up and get the rest of the paperwork and confirm things that were in there. So we're also very proud of our audit that we had done. We've had several audits done to make sure we paid the right people the right amounts at the right period of time. And that's very complicated because there were six different allocations of funding that came from the federal government. And each allocation is a separate contract that has to be tracked separately. So it's a very complicated process. So you know, our accounting team was a, was an integral part of this, as well as obviously the social services team. The other benefit I think that came out of this was then we also were able to understand much better the needs of those folks um, and then connect in with them so that we could offer them other services as well. So that if they were still 
um, using rental relief many months and sometimes up to a year or so afterwards, we were able to connect with them to find out what were the other causes of what was going on. Sometimes it might be as simple um, as they just needed help with employment, but other times it was healthcare costs, um, it was cost of the elderly um, mm -hmm. family members that were living with them, all kinds of reasons that they might have, um, domestic uh, situations often involving domestic violence. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. we'd have to become involved in that. So there was a lot of opportunity for us to connect with people and not just provide them rent, because as I said earlier on, just providing rental assistance is not really our mission. That mm -hmm. really doesn't solve the problem. It solves a, an immediate issue, which people needed during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Everybody needed to have a place to shelter if they were going to shelter in place. And uh, we knew that, you know, eventually we would come onto the other side of this pandemic. So how do we help people ease back into it? And one of the things we noticed right away, too, was the need for mental health uh, counseling, uh, mental health care coverage, uh, making sure that people had the connections into that. So our teams that work on that became very intricately involved in this and the solutions we have, too. Yeah, it was how much. So for this was very helpful, not only for the renters that needed the funds but there's a lot i mean every person that's renting someone owns that property and people need to pay their mortgage you yeah know can I, mean? I just so, i, I, I wanna... mean it's not like woe is me i have an investment property. no you're right but no in hawaii are, that a lot of times that could be yeah. your money that you pay for living you know or some people right. have that and they're paying rent at another place and because the place Absolutely. that they have is actually too small for their home right so when you really start breaking things down it was like you know this actually was able to assist those who do have that exactly. investment property so right because they couldn't you know keep in, in an out, island community yeah. yeah in an island community you know, to use an, an econ term, uh, M1, the circulation of money and how fast the velocity of how fast it circulates. One of the big concerns that, that was generated here early on as we talked to some of the bankers that were on those calls with us was that that would slow down tremendously. So if you remember, we did restaurant stimulation. Mm -hmm. uh, we did what we could to support hotels, the airline, all of that, because when the dollar starts to really slow down and we don't spend it here in our own economy, then we have a lot of, of other issues that will come out of that. So a lot of programs went into the economics and preserving the economics, but one of the ones you're absolutely right, Hawaii has the largest percentage of mom and pop or family owned multifamily apartment buildings than anywhere else in the country. And that became really apparent to us. So what you're saying is we not only supported the tenants and making sure that they had a place to live, but we also helped out the supply side of the equation, helping out those landlords as well. These weren't uh, mainland you know, owners. So, of course, some of them were, but a lot of the apartments here, and you could just see it you know, uh, in, when you're in Waikiki and you look up, right? And you look up in the Makiki and, and yeah. uh, all the areas in there, you can see it. There's a lot of apartment buildings. Um, and so, and many, many of those are owned by families from multiple generations. So yes, we were able to help them out as well. And they're very generous people. Many of those landlords have not raised the rent because uh, 40 years ago, when the when somebody moved in, that auntie, that auntie now has become a part of their own family. And they would never think of raising the rent on them. So 
they they were very very affordable housing, um, and that's another thing that we see as we as we move now into the you know the post pandemic or we've been in the post pandemic phase now for quite a while. What we see is uh, a lot of those that those houses not available as much. That a lot there's been turnover in the families. Um, new generations are coming into that, um, and they're looking at that situation, going, "This isn't what we want to do. <laughs> These aren't the right rents. Uh, there's not a bad actor in here. There's just people saying this doesn't make sense anymore for us." We're not able to keep the property up to the standards we want to be able to, and we've got uh, developers knocking on our door. So we're beginning to see what um, a loss of what we call NOAA, which is stands for naturally occurring affordable housing. And as a community loses that, and there's really no inventory of it, but you'll begin to notice it as rents go up. Rents will go up. Not really the landlord's fault. They're just behaving like anybody would in a supply and demand environment. In a, in a regular market, uh, it would be great if we could keep those rents naturally low, but they're not. And so as those rents are going up, as new landlords take over, um, then uh, we're finding ourselves that that population is not there because there were no deed restrictions on that property. There was no income restrictions as to who the tenants could be. So one of the things that I'm very um, much been sounding the alarm since I got here, because I watched it happen in Seattle area, is the loss of that. So in Seattle, over a 10-year period, they produced 10,000 new units. That's pretty good, right? That was awesome. But those 10,000 units served people between um, you know, 0% and 50% AMI. When you looked at the loss of the rents that fit in that category, so they didn't necessarily have any rent subsidy in them, it was 40,000 units for that same period of time. So they had a net decrease of 30,000 units, even though they built 10,000 new. So one of the things we always have to ask ourselves about is, yes, we're building new units. That's wonderful. But how many are we losing? Who's tracking yeah. that? The same thing goes on when we have out migration of people here. When you break that down into its gross numbers, who's, who's leaving the island community right now and who's moving here? Mm -hmm. And I think what we're finding is a lot of the families at that high, you know, when 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 you're at your highest earning potential, which is like between, you know, 20 and say, you know, 55 or so, if that's the population, especially between 20 and, and 40, that's leaving, we're losing people. And because we're an income-based, income tax-based uh, government subsidy or government uh, revenue source here, those are the people we need. Property taxes are the lowest in the country. So... And people here are very reluctant to increase their property taxes, which I understand. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But then we have to look at if when those people leave, we're not only losing their money and their jobs and their, you know, unfortunately family, but we're also losing a major source of revenue for the for the city and the county and the state. Mm -hmm. So it's a it, it it is an area that needs to be addressed. I really encourage the uh, government leaders and business leaders to take a look at what what's going on with our apartments? Um, what are we losing as much as what we're building? It's wonderful yeah. that we have a plan to build 18,000 new units here in Honolulu. But I want to ask the question and the question has to be asked, how many are we losing? Yeah. Well, tracking? I mean, to top it off too, a lot of that that's being built and that has been built recently are purchases and, you know, where you own that the affordable units and those go up to 140 ami and that doesn't really 
you know, affordable in that terms is relative to someone who has a job that makes 90 something thousand dollars a year. Yeah, (laughs) a a nurse or a teacher that's been in that position for five to 10 years. But yeah, yeah, the the starting nurse, the starting uh, teacher, the new person on the workforce and police workforce or you know, and those are just government jobs I'm talking about. We have a lot of private sector jobs like Amazon's coming and they're creating a lot of jobs. But what will the people be able to afford for rent based on the salary that Amazon's going to pay? Yeah. That's, and so is anybody looking look at that? At what is that? Things, what does yeah. that workforce housing need? What does that workforce need in terms of housing? And do we have that either currently or is it in the pipeline? Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I don't know. For rental... I mean, the numbers that they have out for things that they're doing, it's, you know, up to, it's between 80 and 120, for example, AMI. But what is really needed is more, I feel, what you guys are doing. So, I mean, we need the more, you know, from the zero to 80 mark, right? Yeah, right. Our stuff is all zero to 50. Well, not quite zero. If we can get um, Section 8 vouchers, which... um, that program's administered by um, the Public Housing Authority, HPHA, and they do a wonderful job of making sure that those vouchers are available for their own properties. But for those of us that are trying to build housing and support people at the lower incomes, we need access to those vouchers as well. Um, and not yeah. just coming with the tenant, but actually being based in the property. Uh, without those, it becomes very difficult for us to build housing for people at 50% or less of the area and median income. So we... So, um, well, since we we're talking about housing and development yeah. now, um, we kind of just transitioned into that from the rental side. Um, I will. I want to cover uh, the Maui fires after since we're still on this topic. So we definitely will dive into that towards the um, later end, right before we close. But um, to move more into the development side, I did want to share about uh, what you guys are doing on building out and how you said you'd like to be on, on, you know, every Island to be servicing and to have that range because this is very different for an organization to, you know, own these properties and like you're, you know, you have them and then it's, it's like yours and then you are renting them out. So like, if you can get section eight housing or you can do transitional and a lot of the programs that you have, they, come to some of these programs and then it's also like a platform for them to you know move up out into regular housing later um or mm-hmm. if they're senior um type of pro- um product then you know senior housing but i did want to ask have you guys looked into the emergency proclamation that the governor put out on lands like ag land where you can build affordable have you looked into that recently ag land building yeah, out with the so the the emergency proclamation that the governor mm. put out and they had a second run with it because the first time around um things didn't go as favored <laughs> i would say with the community is the best way to put it and then um I did speak with them not too long ago as to their second edition and in the way they restructured everything and who actually leads is more of the heads of the departments 
versus hiring someone specific for this position. And um, now it is strictly affordable housing that there is a cap as to how high the AMI goes. I want to say it might be 120, um, but I haven't had a chance. But the unique thing about it is that you would actually be able to use ag land to develop and build this product if it's affordable for the community, for yeah. local I, residents. Yeah, I've talked to some of the other developers that are out there looking at that. Obviously, um, uh, Peter Savio is looking at it, so I've talked to him quite a bit. But um, for us, uh, land is something that, you know, because we're we're part of the Catholic Church, that we have quite a bit of access to. So the church has um, undeveloped lands as well uh, that we can uh, take advantage of. Um, we haven't done that yet here in Hawaii, but when I was in uh, Washington State, we did that quite a bit. Um, we were able then to work with the with the church where we have something here that we're uh, working on right now that's next door to the cathedral uh so because we have access to that i'm leaving that that other like that ag land piece of it mostly to the other developers because they don't have the same amount of access that we do to the the land that's owned by churches but you know there there's a lot of land owned by public entities as well as faith-based groups that's available. I always tell every pastor <laughs> and bishop that I meet with who wants to talk about housing, I said, how would you like a covered parking lot? And they're like, yeah. And I said, do you really care that much about what it's covered with? And they're like, well, not really. I said, well, how about we cover it with five stories of housing and you get you get covered parking for, for all your folks. We're not going to take away any of your parking. And they, they really love that idea. And I've done that in several other places. It works out wonderful. Um, and then, you know, the, it gives that church-based group the opportunity, too, to connect in with the people that are living there. So there's begins to be an integration of that. And it's less of an other type of situation and more of a part of our community. Uh, they may or may not join the church, but the point is they will be there. They'll be a part of that. And there's a great unity that can happen there. So... Um, and even on university lands, I know in Spokane, I'm on the board of the Catholic Charities Housing Development Group out there, and they've built um, low-income family housing, families that uh, were struggling staying housed and employed and whatnot, um, right there on campus. It's a wonderful program. They run a child care out of there, so all of the people that are majoring in education and early childhood type of counseling or whatever have access. The people that are doing uh, in the law school come over and they counsel people on whatever legal issues they might have. Uh, the accounting department comes over and helps people with their income taxes. So it's a linkage between the community, in this case, a university campus and the people that are in housing. It could also be a linkage between people that are attending uh, a church that are a regular, you know, members of a church group and and the people who need the housing there as well. Oftentimes we're afraid of that. Uh, we see that in Kailua when there was housing in Manoa, there's housing. We're afraid of letting new people in that we don't necessarily know. But the reality is they're not new. <laughs> they're already part of our community. We may not see them. We may not have connections with them. But oftentimes they're there. I think in Maui, maybe this is a place to transition into that. In Maui, what we learned very quickly was 40% of the people that affected were Filipino. Many of the people that I've talked to from uh, out there had no idea that there was that many people 
that uh, Filipino people that were there. But you know who knew? The pastor, the pastor mm. of uh, of the Catholic Church that got its notoriety because it was one of the few buildings still standing. And then also their mission up in Kapalua there um, near the golf course. Those families um, were always a part of that community, but they're not very visible. They're in the mm. background doing the hard work. The Filipino community was there doing all of the maintenance, the yard work, um, the you know the kitchen, the well, maids. Working at all of the hotels because yeah. I I lived in Maui for several years, about twenty years ago, and um, I worked in the hotel industry mm. as a concierge. So I mean, yes, it's a lot. It's that's right. who and then the other a lot of yeah, my friends were. That's this growing population there too. And here in Hawaii, in Hawaii, it's sixteen percent increase in the last year of Spanish speaking. Um, from all kinds of countries, you know, uh, Mexico, Central, South America. Yeah, um, Maui has a lot from yeah. that are Spanish. And people speaking. were surprised and shocked. I was, I how was many... surprised there when we were there that because I had a friend too that I went to, you know, she worked with me and her whole like she's I think they were Mexican. So she said like her whole family moved there and then like yeah. she went to church and and in because she has, you know, That's a exactly Catholic right. faith. So, so then they're all there yep. and they all start coming like from wherever. And then like when I went to go visit yep. or we went actually we were getting tacos somewhere and it was like all the connected to like the church <laughs> and it was like yeah. the best tacos exactly that so the pastor knew that so when we got out there he you know we quickly were able to help that all those people that were going to the church and i went to a tiny church that normally would hold less than a hundred and they were packed to the gills there was like three four hundred people there going to mass and this was during the months of August, September, and October. And when I was there along with my staff and some board members that we had there on Maui, um, we were found ourselves in need of and uh, and providing services in terms of translation for the FEMA, for the Red Cross folks, the people that were there trying to get them registered. So we played go-between for a lot of people, as well as you know getting them our some of the own our own services and uh, financial assistance that we had available. But um, there was a, a lot of uh, folks that were falling through the cracks that yeah. weren't known and um, they relied on the church. And what we did was, you know, we provided them some assistance early, early on, and then also worked very quickly to connect them into the system that was there, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be FEMA or Red Cross, if they didn't have all the documentation they needed, and oftentimes it wasn't because they didn't have the documentation, it's because they lost it in the fire, right? That's so they crazy, made a lot right? of paperwork. Also, the other thing was a lot of them didn't depend much on the banking system for whatever reason, cultural, uh, bad experience in, the, in their family, whatever country they came from, uh, perhaps not as trustworthy of the, of the banking system. So a lot of them lost their cash. I talked to people that, you know, been working as a maid, for most of her life, saving up her money for her son to go to seminary to become a priest. And she lost upwards almost $20,000 in the fires. So there's a lot of people that were impacted uh, by the fires that um, we really need to make sure they have a voice as well in how Lahaina is built. So that's another role that we're playing um, yeah. is working with the church to make sure that those communities have a voice in the design. They were a part of the community. They didn't just move there either. They had been there for, as you said, you were there 20 years ago mm -hmm. and you knew of this population, right? So yeah. 
it's grown, I'm sure, significantly. And fact is, 40% of the people affected by the fire right there in Lahaina were Filipino. That's a yeah. large percentage. And then all of the people that work out in Kapalua all the way to Lahaina and and every and kind of Pali and everything like that. Um, they're all like a lot of people are in Kaului too, right? And in more centrally located, mm -hmm. but they then lost their jobs or they, you know, yeah. things kind of just went and, on hold. Yeah. And that's where we opened up our center. Um, we do services on a mobile basis right now. We're hoping to get a more permanent location uh, out there near Napili. But the um, what we're doing there in uh, Kahului is we already had 160 units for senior housing, but it came with a, an office building, 7,000 square foot office building. So we have put uh, 20, 25 workers in there. We train. We work with St. Vincent de Paul and Red Cross to train people with other agencies, other government agencies. Um, we've made we've opened up that space. It's um, being used to do a call center, as well as a training center uh, for folks. For the so youth a, that have been or their families have been affected, is there any funding specifically for that? Um, you know, also like mental and well-being oh, yeah. for the youth. Because the reason why I bring it up is because we've been working with Parley Air Station which has been at the Bishop Museum with Kahi Picaro. He's their executive director. And their air station is uh, talks about the ocean and the plastics, and it's more on the sustainable side of things. But they are actually moving their entire um, station to West Maui uh, really soon. And they're gonna, you definitely need probably some funding to help get out there. But their goal is they're they have a spot by like Fleming, beach area right. you know up kind of that that area a little up more past um that area but for west maui mount uh, west maui area they're going to be doing more like youth services um for a place it's like right on the water a lot of like ocean activities and something like things that they can mm -hmm. go to to get away from you know the home and the life and the stress of everything that's been going on and that it's like a community-based um location that will be supporting youth so i mean since you guys are going to be there more i mean maybe there's a way that we can connect you guys because they will be new there and they're going to be you know setting up and it will be for the youth um that have been affected as well from west Maui. yeah so. no it, that's that's great yeah there's whole families um i keep in touch with a couple of families that i met uh shortly after i got up there and um you just yesterday i was talking to one of the fathers and a lot of the families are struggling um in ways, you know, very solid marriages, for instance, now all of a sudden are talking about separation. The stress is incredible. Being together in such a small space without a kitchen, a hotel room is great when you're on vacation, right? <laughs> and having access to the amenities that are appropriate when you're on vacation. But when you're dealing with the recovery from a wildfire, it's a full-time job to tr to track down unemployment to track down what benefits your employer had for you that you can continue um your insurance coverage 
of making sure that you could take care of everybody's health because there's been a lot of health, not just mental health, obviously, but physical health issues that are stemming. Do you guys help with that? Like kind of get them through that? We do. We have case managers along with other social service providers that are out there in the community to work with them. But, you know, one of the things um, that happens in such a traumatic experience is part of our survival mechanism that we've had through our millions of years of evolution has been to kind of separate and, and, and trauma and people are in shock, right? The, the the mind and the body and the spirit will kind of separate out so you can take care of what needs to be compartmentalized. And bringing that all back together is when you begin to rise up out of that shock, that state of shock, you begin to be able to process the trauma. That's when people will reach out. So we've had counselors there all along, but people are also worried about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Where, where's my shelter? How long do I get to stay in this hotel room? Where's my food coming from? It's wonderful that these people from all around the country came out here to cook me their favorite meals, but I don't recognize a lot of this food. This is what is my comfort food, right? And the, and I know that the people that came did a lot to adjust to the local menu over time, but there's just things like that that, um, that, that they had to work their way through. You know, insurance, you know, saying stupid things like, well, you know, was this really caused by a fire or was it caused by a hurricane? It's yeah. like, well, no, it's caused. So they have to fight all these silly types of questions. It, it, FEMA process, as much as there's wonderful people doing all of that, the first step in FEMA to see if you can get a grant is to apply to SBA. Well, why do you apply to the Small Business Administration? Yeah. Well, it's because they have an underwriting department that then checks all of your income and your credit and all of that. And if they then deny you a loan, then you qualify for a grant backwards, right? So mm-hmm. people get a denial letter from the Small Business Administration that they didn't even realize they applied to because they thought they applied to FEMA. So it's just crazy systems out there. And then not so, knowing what that is, I'm sure. And then well, it just brings up tension. So, you know, <laughs> you're you're trying to run a household as a husband and wife. And one of you saying to the other one, well, why aren't you out working? And they're like, because I'm spending all my time taking people to appointments to make sure I could do this because not everybody's in, in out there on the West side. Sometimes they have to go to, you know, Kahului. they spend hours on waiting on the phone, sending emails. So being a disaster, you know, and I don't like the word victim. So I like to say impacted by fires, people impacted by a disaster. It's a full-time job that in and of itself is a full-time job that doesn't really pay. And you're relying on the generosity of other people you know, such as the the celebrities and the, you know, NFL and the PGA, wonderful, wonderful stuff they're doing. But then you get that one-time bump and you're like, well, what am I going to do next month? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're trying to find stability. They they love and appreciate all the help everybody's giving them. But they're trying to raise a family and think ahead, where, where are my kids going to go to school? Where am I going to live? What's my job going to be? You know, so as they're rising up and beginning to ask all these questions, there's a lot more stress that comes on. The other thing that I learned about trauma is once you're in such a severe trauma like that, any other trauma you've had in your life rises to the surface. And most of us don't fully process all the trauma we've been through in our lives. And when that type of an event happens and that's unprocessed trauma from other parts of your life mm-hmm. are now right there on the surface, You've got to have somebody help you deal with all of that. And it's complicated because as much as we try to have the same staff work with the same people all the time, Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, they can't be available 24 seven. Uh, so they've got to rotate in and out as to who's helping people. And it's just, it's complex and there's yeah. a lot of great people doing a lot of great work. And I, our team here, like he started off saying is wonderful, wonderful people. I don't know how they do what they do day after day. Um, they are very committed to, to their, and we're very committed to Maui. We will be there. We were there. And that's, you know, and that's the other thing too, is, is that Catholic charities is on every, like it's statewide. Right. And so a lot of agencies are here on Oahu and usually service here. So, or even if they wanted to reach out to Maui, it's, it's a little harder to be of service. So because of the size of Catholic charities, Hawaii, and you know, your track record and, you know, what you've done in the past, it's like, you are the first, one of the first agencies to be like hitting up, you know, and being like, Hey, we need this support. We need this help. And you guys are just always like up for the challenge. And, you know, when I think we met for lunch that day. Yeah. The day <laughs> of the wildfire, and- we, you and I, and and BJ, the yeah. VP of philanthropy. And they had everything yeah. started up and running and just, you know, up online and everything to be able to just receive funds so they can, you know, disperse them where it needed to go right away. And just that alone and the, the programs that you guys are doing now, it's, it is one of those things where you guys are going to be there for the years to come, you know, whereas a lot of people, they've, um, it's it's already passed. It's like something they did. There's going to be a crisis in another area that, you know, and a disaster somewhere else that then people are going to be helping because it hits the news and, and you know, Maui kind of gets lost and these people are still without a home for years, you know, and yep. people forget that part of it. But um, no, Catholic Charities Hawaii is still there. <laughs> They're still working and being there in the communities, which is just again something i appreciate with you guys so thank you i know we are running into that hour so and you know i want to get you out but um was there anything else top of your mind that you would like to share i i did want to say two things one is if there are opportunities for volunteerism within catholic charities i know that people may not necessarily be in the state of being a donor on a regular basis, mm-hmm. but if there's ways that they can contribute their time, I feel that maybe some of the younger generations would like to be able to do that. So if we are able to, you know, get them working on some things that, you know, warms their heart and they contribute, would love to um, be able to get them connected. Um, and then the last oh. one, before you mentioned, because I know I'm going to forget this, is is there a way that we can create um, some type of tree planting or with Ulu? Because I know that is your guys's, if you look on their little logo item, it is their logo is the breadfruit, the Ulu tree. And I just thought it would be really nice to create some type of, and I'll help with that too, if we can. I know I'm still on the program um, board and everything. So maybe there's some kind of campaign that we can do with planting Ulu and and Catholic Charities Hawaii. Because I know you have land and maybe it would be a good tree with shade. No, I'd love to do that. Food. Yeah, <laughs> we've talked about before. Um, yeah, you know, the uh, just here on our campus, we have several different Ulu trees. Ulu 
is what we call our values symbol. So we don't have a logo or a brand, but the ulu leaf is part of our symbol. It's there. Um, those of you can see it at the YouTube up in the upper left-hand corner. That's our symbol. So that's an ulu leaf. And as we know, the um, you know the breadfruit that comes from that is a sustainable um, a food item that helps sustain the the people here in Hawaii for hundreds and hundreds of years before initial contact. So, and even afterwards, um, I know it's a prized because we have a lot of neighbors that want to that come over and ask if they can have the fruit off of our trees here on our campus. But um, in terms of planting that, I think it's a, a wonderful idea. Thanks for bringing it up again, Christina. I'm going to have to work with our team. Uh, we've got uh, several different properties with a lot of space on them, including the one I was talking about on Maui. Um, we have an area there for a garden. Uh, so not knowing a whole lot myself about the history of the ulu and the breadfruit, um, but what's good uh, horticultural techniques to ensure um, that they're well, there. I will connect you with people. And then on, in addition, I have our Eco Rotary Club here locally, That's right. but they did just start an Eco Rotary Club in Maui. So what I can do oh. is connect you to the Eco Rotary Club in Maui and they will have farmers as well. And people like I have here that can, um, like edible landscapers that come in and really assess the the property itself Wonderful. to say like what you can add or what you can do. Like if you do want to add a community garden to any of your locations, you know, then you can also bring in these um these this, these people that specifically work on either creating out farms or building out edible landscaping for people's homes and things like that. And then you know can kind of create um that kind of project and guess what eco rotary will jump in and help create it too and build it with you and create a service project and and things like that if um if it gets to that place so but you know so that's volunteer as well so you know if, if you want to look and sound that road let me know and i'm ready to jump on in <laughs> okay all right well let's do it okay well i think that pretty much wraps up anything did you want to share any last thoughts? You know, um, I, I just want to reiterate how wonderful the people here at Catholic Charities are. We have a, a wonderful, wonderful team. Um, you know, we have people that have been here for a long period of time, 20, 30, 40 years, very, very dedicated to the mission, to making sure it happens. And, um, you know, that is one of the things that um, I'm really, really proud of at Catholic Charities is the team and the quality of people here. And ensures not only that we do the wonderful work um, that we've been doing all along, but that also that we're out there on the frontier of trying to, you know, working with the community to better understand what the needs are and how we can uh, make, meet those needs. So we're always changing. We may be an older institution, but we're always there on the frontier. So it sounds like our new frontier will be planting ulu trees. Or, or community gardens for the... <laughs> the housing that you have yeah um so thank you guys so much for listening and that's all i have for you today uh you could definitely check out our podcast to on any platform that has a podcast platform and then or you can go to smartlivinghawaii.org and check out our podcast directly from that website 
Um, you can check out, I'm going to go ahead and put some hyperlinks in and everything in the comments below for the podcast so you can connect to Catholic Charities Hawaii, but it's catholiccharitieshawaii.org. And then, of course, their um, helpline, which is 808-521-HELP, which is 4357. So I think that's it. If you do need to reach out via email, it's info at catholiccharitieshawaii.org. Thank you you so so much much for having me here, Christina. It's a wonderful podcast you do. Thank you. Okay, thanks. 